1: So they're looking for that number two that has, ideally, three-level ability. That's what you really want. Because even though we've seen Diggs get vertical, Diggs is not truly a vertical dimension. I mean, he can get vertical, as we've discussed, because of his route-running ability and his ability to set up corners because he's really good in and out of breaks. He's really good at getting corners to turn and to get off their spot. But at the end of the day, he's not a true vertical dimension. That's Greg Cosell from the Combine with the guys at One Bills Live. Good Wednesday morning, Jeremy White and Jody Biassi. and on the Western Hotline for his Wednesday hit with us at this time of day is Joe Marino of the Draft Network and the Lockdown Bills Podcast. Good morning, Joe. Hey, good morning, guys. How's that that comment from Greg Cosell hit you? Right, right about exactly right. What the Bills need a three level receiver.
2: Yeah, you know it. <laughs> you know we, we've we've been talking about that for a while and. I really appreciate what he said about Stefan Diggs and that he can win vertically, but it's not necessarily his strength. And when you think about some of the dynamics of this offense that you know Ken Dorsey wants with the vertical passing game, the lack of a true burner, right? In that regard, um, is is something that I think is is missing. And with you know, even with Gabe Davis, who's a good down the field receiver, you know he's not a guy that offers a ton of speed. So uh, it, it'd be exciting to think about what this offense could could do with that true legitimate down the field I can run past the defense type of guy uh, to add to this offense I think that'll make everyone else a lot better and improve the spacing
1: overall your your latest episode is a full mock offseason free agency salary cap draft 53 man roster want to get to that a little bit and get to the tight end conversation that's starting to pick up but you know on this point that you just made about receivers Joe is there a is there a phrase in the scouting report? Like if a Bills fan is reading about a prospect, reading about a player, is there a phrase they should want to see? Whether it's, um, I feel like you've used it before, like stacking the defensive back because the speed right out of the gate, like a guy that can hit 10 yards faster, the guy who gets to full speed faster. What are the operative terms? If a fan's out there reading about all these players, what do they want to see in a scouting report for a good fit for this kind of player?
2: Well, Something that I'll put in my scouting reports is that they are a three-level threat. Um, I think you're looking for words like twitchy, um, uh, explosive, y- yards after catchability, uh, can win down the field. Like those are those are those buzzwords and phrases that you're looking for. And as you see uh, the the most complete uh, you know skill sets out there, that's where you would want the Bills to to kind of be gravitating towards. And it's not a situation where these do everything receivers have to be like top 10 picks if that's not the case like you could even look at a guy like Marvin Mims out of Oklahoma who I think is probably a midday do pick I describe him as do everything uh, so I, I think it's important to kind of distinguish here that do everything doesn't mean this unicorn top 10 player they're available throughout the draft it's about giving them the opportunity within your offense and unlocking their potential so I think that's an important uh, note to make here.
1: And, and how much of this, Joe, is about, you say, unlocking potential? Like, you're not kicking Gabriel Davis to the curb. You're trying to find ways to make what he does more useful, unlocking yeah. him with another receiver in the formation.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, and whether that's a true pure slot receiver that is really savvy at beating zone coverage and uh, finding leverage and becoming available and how that will help Gabe Davis because you kind of pick up the missing components of Gabe's skill set with that player, or another true outside receiver, or maybe somebody who's interchangeable, but that can you could put on the same side of the of, of a formation with Gabe Davis and utilize where Gabe does win, which is in that intermediate to deeper portion of the field where he can really use timing, route tempo, uh, his play strength to create leverage to complement that player. So yes, it's. You know, I'm lukewarm on Gabe. That's pretty well established. But I think you can get more consistency and still get production out of Gabe Davis by adding this other skill set. I think it'll help him a ton.
3: We've been talking a little bit about tight end, Joe, the last uh, day or so. Bean talked about it a couple of times. How deep the class is? Uh, Sal's been writing about it. So I guess two part for you: one, how good is this tight end class? Is it really as deep as Bean is saying? And two, is that any sort of idea for you for the bills at 27
2: well i i'm in on this tight end class i think corner and tight end are probably your your best two position groups in this class and i think you've got probably six tight ends realistically that i think should be first or second round picks which is a ton that's a lot um so i'm in i mean it it's a good class really good talent at tight end um as far as it being an option for the bills at 27 i mean i think you start with being honest about what your real appetite is for 12 personnel, Uh, two tight end sets. And last year, you know, I I spent a lot of time last offseason talking about the dynamics of Ken Dorsey and Mike Shula, and I'm a big fan of of looking at mutual success together when coaches unite and seeing what those ingredients are that made them successful there and and expecting them to replicate that. It happens over and over in the NFL. Well, Mike Shula, Ken Dorsey, Carolina Panthers – Greg Olson, Jeremy Shockey, it was, it was a good situation. Like, over over 20% of their market share went to tight ends. I think actually pushing 30%, actually, 28%, something like that, if I'm not mistaken. And when the Bills signed O.J. Howard to go with the addition of Mike Shule and the promotion of Ken Dorsey, I started really pounding the drum saying, look, I think 12 personnel can really be a thing. And then it wasn't, right? So <laughs> I feel a little burned on that take. Uh, but it seems like it's it's um it's lighting back up right now, and so the clues are certainly there. Um, it would be an interesting layer to the offense. There's a there's a good conversation to be had about the economics of tight ends. Like if you want the best receivers in the NFL, it's thirty million dollars a season. If you want the best tight ends, it's like fifteen or sixteen. And so like if you want to play the value game with playmakers, it is in tight ends. And so there's a, there's a a lot of good that could come from it. But until it happens, I'm a little. I'm a little uh, standoffish on the idea of it actually coming to fruition.
1: Well, let's let's get to the same kind of conversation about tight end that we just had about receiver. If they were going to do it, and we're interested in twelve personnel, what kind of tight end w- would you want? I mean, everybody wants, of course, the perfect fit but would you think they would want more of a guy that is a blocker that can that can help them in the run game is Knox adequate enough in the passing game and getting down the field that you wouldn't want another one or you would because you could be um, more difficult to defend so what type of tight end do you think would make sense
2: well I, I would first be honest about what I think Dawson Knox is because I think that's where you can find out what complementary skills that you want I mean Dawson Knox is inked long term. You know, a pricey tight end. So, you know, in him, I think you do have that move piece—the guy that you can play in the slot, flex out, play out of the backfield, um, and and use the athleticism to win down the field. I'd actually argue that that's been an underutilized component of Dawson Knox's game, even over the last two years, where it's you know he's been productive. Um, they haven't used him down the seam and vertically to the degree of which I think he's capable of winning. And so with that being my belief of Dawson Knox's skill set, I become more interested in the guy that can be more of a traditional inline player that can, you know, help you as a blocker. And I know that everybody wants to talk about pass catching skill, but the blocking component, if you're going to run 12 personnel is really going to matter. And you want him probably more attached to the formation. And I'd be looking for a little bit more catch radius, a little bit more savvy zone beater and, and, a guy that can read coverage on the fly and and know where to make themselves available. So I I find myself wanting more of that skill set to go with Dawson Knox because I think you have that more versatile receiving profile in Dawson Knox. So I'd want more of the other stuff in in the number two player.
1: Joe Marino of the Draft Network and the Lockdown Bills podcast. I mentioned your your episode today, I listened to it on the drive-in, is about the a mock-off season and a lot of stuff. And you started with restructuring deals, and I feel like this is a very important thing to bring up heading into next week with free agency, that the Bills do have a bit of room to restructure and maneuver to a point where free agency, if they want to bring in, of course, players before the draft, if they want to sign some some decent contracts, they will have some ability to do it. I, I I don't know if it's being sold that they are in cap jail or anything like that, but there are moves that we should expect probably in the coming days, week, to free up room to make it so they have some freedom come free agency.
2: Yeah, I think the two that you're going to see is a base restructure for Josh Allen. That'll create over $21 million in cap space. And, you know, as far as a base restructure goes, it's, it's a very um, – routine thing uh the player gets more money now and doesn't lose any money in the future right it's a good thing for the player and it winds up being a good free thing for the team because they get more cap flexibility um it really just comes down to is your ownership willing to write big checks up front and and Terry Pagula absolutely is and that's why the Bills have been able to manipulate the cap the way that they have over the last several of off seasons and so i think you'll see that happen with Josh Allen uh, they can do a roster bonus conversion with Von Miller to free up almost 11 million more dollars. Uh, you look at this crop of players and De- Deion Dawkins, Matt Milano, Trey White, and Stefan Diggs. You can look at any one of them for a restructure for about 6 million um, as kind of like your most common sense ways to clear cap space. And then something will happen with the Naheem Hines contract. There's no chance that he comes back and plays under the deal that he's currently signed, which Includes zero guaranteed money. So, Naheem Hines is owed nothing by the Bills, which puts the Bills at a massive point of strength in, hey, this doesn't work, uh, but we can give you this, and he'd probably take it. Uh, And then you have Isaiah McKenzie as a player that you can free up uh, about $2.5 million if you release him. So, I think those are the types of moves I would expect. Um, And I think Brandon Bean has enough levers that he can pull to create anywhere between 30 and $50 million in available cap space uh, for him to do whatever he thinks is necessary to get this team over the hump.
3: Joe Marino of the Locked on Bills podcast here on the Wester Hotline. So in your mock offseason that you did on the show, um, defensively is still like Edmonds and Poyer would walk, I'm assuming, but whether or not Edmonds comes back, is that still to you like the biggest thing to figure out or the biggest sway, I would guess, one way or the other for what the offseason looks like?
2: It's absolutely the huge pivot point. Um, if you don't sign Tremaine Edmonds, and that frees up a lot of different opportunities, right? Because I, I certainly think Tremaine Edmonds is going to push for 17 to $20 million average per season. Well, if you don't commit that to Tremaine Edmonds, you can either, A, do less cap manipulation, or B, do the same level of cap manipulation, but probably sign a couple of additional players. Um, in addition to a linebacker to uh, replace Tremaine Edmonds, so um, yeah, there's a, there's absolutely opportunity costs to consider uh, with Tremaine Edmonds. And in, in my offseason, my mock offseason, I did have the Bills re-signing Tremaine Edmonds as part of 14 players that were either re-signed or signed from a new team. So uh, we, we found plenty of ways to to get some deals done and create cap space.
1: It's, it's interesting, Joe. Like you almost wonder if. You know, you've got draft boards and they do mock drafts. And I wonder if Brandon Bean has done a mock offseason where, all right, well, if Tremaine re-signs with us, which I think the Bills would probably want that to happen, then we go down this road. And if he, on the opening day of free agency, signs a big deal with the Lions, it's okay. You know, Uh plan B, <laughs> the number of things that could change yeah. in your mock offseason, all of a sudden you've got, you know, an $18 million hole that you could spend it on linebacker, whether that's Bobby Wagner or the Vikings guy Eric Hendricks that was just let go like are there I guess suitable options for that plan B because it, it would seem that like you've opened a very very big hole that would that be priority one that you have to fill last year we corner two seemed to be the consensus number one hole to fill. and if Edmonds walks on day one of free agency, then consensus number one hole to fill is his spot?
2: Well, I think I think if there's a strong case to be made for that, I, I'm sure there's some some Bills fans listening right now that would say, uh, no, it's guard to replace right. Roger Saffold, no matter what, or it, you know, a lot of people wanting the Bills to lean into offense at the you know defense, figure it out, uh, offense. This is where you really need the firepower. So um, I can I can understand a lot of different viewpoints on um, what the top priority would be. So I don't know if there would be that consensus position like we've seen in the past. Um, But, you know, for me, it would be pretty big. I mean, you're talking about your Mike Linebacker in a a base nickel defense where that guy's responsible for a lot of real estate against the run and the pass. Uh, I'd be real concerned about finding that replacement. But I think you mentioned a couple of names there, Eric Kendricks, Bobby Wagner, if you wanted that veteran. If Levante David gets away from the Buccaneers, you'd have to think he's an option. And then like the Bobby O'Kara of the world with, with the Colts, you know, He's a player that really intrigues me, that has length and movement and uh, range that, that you, you, you know not maybe to the degree of Tremaine at his size, but you get a lot of it, David Long with the Titans. So I think there's options, and, and that's a good thing, and they'll, they'll be cheaper than Tremaine. Um, but, you know, in Tremaine, you get five years of time on task in your system, in your building, you know what you have, um, and you feel like there's a lot invested there and, and still plenty of, of good football left for him, obviously. You know, five-year pro and entering his age 25 season. I mean, he's a pretty rare guy
1: as you mentioned guard philosophically do you think it's the time to invest in it they have they have used patchwork right on the interior of their line other than Cody Ford who they had at guard but he was drafted to be a tackle i right. think i feel like yes. so like do you feel like they should stay the course of the patchwork guard or is it finally time to really kind of lock a spot in there if you can
2: well i mean i'm i'm not really in love with the patchwork jobs that's been done if you think about Roger Saffold and Brian Winters and um Quentin Spain, right? Like Feliciano, like how many times can you do the patchwork thing and commit three to five, I mean, Stafford staff this year seven, $8 million to this player that is going to come in and just not be a tomato can for you. Um And how, how many years in a row are we talking about guard? You know? So I, I'd like to see either uh, a, a high pick um, on a player um, or go into one of these better free agent options. And I, I think, the, the the available free agents really match up with the Bills. I don't know if they're going to go in on like the twelve, thirteen, fourteen million dollar year guards like an Isaac Ciamalo from the Eagles or Ben Powers from the Ravens or Dalton Risner from the Broncos. Like if they want to really go in, that's those are the high ticket players, but I think there's a next tier um, of guys and, and a player that I really like in Nate Davis uh, with the Tennessee Titans that um, I think would be a really good seven, eight million dollar a year guard. Uh, David Edwards, um, a player that um, Aaron Cromer, the Bills' offensive line coach, is certainly familiar with uh, from their time together with the Rams where he became a rookie starter as a fifth-round pick and has been a good player. The concern there is two concussions that limited him to four games last year. Um, but um, he's he's played really good football in the, in the three-and-a-half seasons before this. So, you know, I think that's probably the world that the Bills live in. But the good thing if they were to go after a Davis or an Edwards is you're talking about, you know, 25-year-old, 26-year-old, free agents that have starting experience and have some upward mobility, you know, that's kind of where I'd like to see them go as opposed to, all right, uh, long-term starter, um, comes available, one-year deal, they're not that good. You know, I'd want that uh, mid-level investment in a player with uh, some experience, some youth, and some upward mobility.
3: We had a caller last hour ask us about like trade ideas and if the is there a guy the Bills could move that'd be a year you move him a year too early rather than lose him for nothing or have it be a year too late. And Ed Oliver was the only name we could really yeah. come up with for that. And I, I think maybe we've asked you about him before, but just to reset on that as an idea. He they would save ten plus million on the cap. I, I guess how how real an idea should that be that the Bills are considering? And for you, like how, given what Oliver's been, how easy do you think it would be to replace Oliver uh, if they were to think about moving him at this point?
2: Well, he's he's certainly that guy when you consider um, logical trade players that you would part with um, because of the cap savings and you know maybe some reluctancy to really pay him beyond this season. Um, and so, you know, could you get a, a, a second in a? sixth or something like that in exchange for him and then use that cap space to get a couple of players right at, at defensive tackle in free agency and I think there's a good good amount of, of interior defensive linemen that the Bills could look at to to replace him um, some names David Anyameta from the Saints uh, Larry Agonjobi, who's a nice young player Matt Ioannidis um, you know, there's there's Colin Saunders there's there's players that they could they could look to and Uh, you know, kind of have a similar conversation to one that we had with Tremaine Edmonds. So, I mean, the Bills have been around Ed for four years. I I think they're fully aware of who he is and who he isn't. And um, if they don't think that there's a whole lot there for them after this season and he's not an extension candidate, then I think you do lean into that idea and see what you can get in return for him and then also factoring in, okay, because of that cap clearance, we can now sign these players and really have to, you know, weigh the pros and cons there. But I, I can be convinced that that's a worthwhile idea. But it does come with, okay, you got to sell me on a plan to 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 have um, uh, a good three tech because maybe Ed Oliver isn't everything you wanted him to be as a top ten pick, and you certainly become disappointed when you stack him up against the other first round defensive tackles. But he's still a good starting three technique, and and, and I think that's something to be mindful of. And so um, there's options, but. You know, you you, you got to weigh it all out. And I think there's probably a good path. But, you know, does it always all come together like that? I'm not sure. I don't want to assume that it would. But it's certainly interesting.
1: Last, before we let you go, Joe, I want to get your thoughts real quick. Next time we talk next Wednesday, Aaron Rodgers could be with the Jets. How yeah. threatening would it be to the Bills' claim to the AFC East?
2: Well, I think, I think it, it's huge for the Jets. I think that they become – a team I would, I would expect to, to at least be a wild card team, um, that would win at least 10 games. I mean, their defense really took off. It, it'll, you know, it shouldn't be worse next year. A lot of young players, uh, developing young players on offense. Think about Garrett Wilson and what he did in year one. And then they're going to get Elijah Vera Tucker back and they're going to get Brees Hall back. And, um, they got some really good infrastructure in place from young talent. And I think Aaron, they're, they're that type of team that you say they're a quarterback away. Um, so I, I think it'll really help them for next year. Um, beyond that's where I get nervous, right? Because it's been a circus for like the last three, four years with Aaron Rodgers, And we're talking about the, the, that market, right. And I mean, look at the history of the Jets and giants. They just, neither one of them have really ever had consistently high level quarterback play from anybody. And I think like there's something to that market and the challenges there. Um, So, you know, you probably get a, a, maybe a one-year bump, but I'd be really nervous about parting with, you know, lots of draft capital, Um, for this, but I think you have some desperation. Woody Johnson, I mean, has never had a franchise quarterback. As the owner, Selah and Joe Douglas, GM and head coach, are entering kind of like a make-or-break year. Um, You could see them going all in for this year and living with whatever the fallout is. So I think it's a really good bump for them next year, but I'd be very concerned about the long-term consequences of of a move like that for the Jets.
1: Joe Marino of the Draft Network and the Locked On Bills podcast for his Wednesday spot. Thanks, Joe. All right, guys. Thanks for having me. Talk again next week. And by next week, could have Rodgers news, could have uh, Lamar Jackson news. Lamar is able to talk to teams on the 13th. So maybe
3: not by then. What would have to happen? Would they trade him
1: before the 13th? They could do that. We could at least get reports about a team that says we are interested, as opposed to all the teams that yesterday said they were not going to be in on it. We'll get a break in. Phone calls, and better to forget it, I, I got Joe... I think I've got a genius idea. I think I've got. Okay. I think it's a it's the next phase of something we've all come to love. I'm ready for it to take the next step. I'll tell you about it, and better to forget it.
0: We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s. It's over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch.